already. Ladies and gentlemen, what is happening? It is the Four Mandalore podcast. I am Nick Ashton. He is T-Bob Bear. We are back at it again after a thrilling episode three with probably the most action that we've seen in the entire series so far. T, I am beyond happy to be here with you today to talk about this groundbreaking episode of The Mandalorian. How are you doing? It's it's wild, bro. I'm, um, I don't know. I, I honestly, and this sounds really dumb, but I almost feel a little overwhelmed. I have so Same. many, Same. I have so many ideas flying through my head right now. And, and even before we got on, I just had a pretty interesting conversation with a guy that I think will be on an episode at some point this year, but I mean, some of the ramifications of not just this episode, but this series now, and what it means to Star Wars as a whole are potentially massive. Exponential growth in each episode, I think, is what we're seeing. We're seeing exponential growth in the implications of every episode, like you said, in what this could mean for the universe as a whole. I mean, shoot, we saw Vibroblades for the first time. Oh, that like, was great. Like, so much to get into. Very cool effect. I, I want to hit I want to hit it right off the top, though. Um, we start off, he's coming back to this planet, um, which, do we know the planet's name? I don't think we do. Mm, if but, we do, I've not paid enough attention. It doesn't seem like they're really stressing about planet names as much. I'm haven't. sure, like, you could look it up, but they haven't made a... I don't feel like they made a point of and it. And I'm, I'm not sure how relevant it is either, but um, they... We start off, he brings him back to this planet, um, he brings the, the baby, um, you know, we're, we're still calling it Baby Yoda, I know a lot of people um, in the Twitter sphere and in other places have decided that that's not what they want to go with, but... Really? I, mean, I feel like I've seen a lot of Baby Yoda. I mean, well, I, I've seen some backlash, either way, we've seen it... It's true, we're going to yeah. call it Baby Yoda for shorthand until on the we, show. Yeah, until we get a name, and that's that's the most convenient way to do it, um, but we've got this situation on our hands where he turns the baby back in... And we get a very, like, tense scene with him explaining, like, hey, you shouldn't need to know what's going on with this baby now that you turned it in. Like, he's like, it's, it's interesting you'd bring that up because that's not of your kind to want to wanna bring those points up. And and we get a, you know, a tense moment where he goes back to talk to um, the... Uh, with the Werner Herzog? Yeah, him and then... The who, Imperial officer. We don't have a name on yet. Who's the, who's the head of the... Um, He's just called the client Werner Herzog. Oh, oh Werner Herzog, um, like the head bounty hunter guy. Yeah, him. Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers is very, very happy to see him. And yes. he's just like, dude, the, the dichotomy between the behavior of the people who are basically he's working for and him is very, very big uh, so far in this episode. But he goes back to the cantina. And yeah. what, what, what does Carl Weathers tell him? So that's, that, that, that's a scene that... You're really getting that he is, uh, he, he is really regretting Big time. what he's done Big time. Uh, in turning in Baby Yoda because obviously he has more riches than he knows what to do with. He's got this fat new Beskar armor suit. I mean, head to toe. I thought he might gear up piece by piece. My guy had an epic night. He got the full drop. He got everything he needed, every piece of gear he needed. And uh, and and still he he wasn't he wasn't happy. And Carl Weathers was ecstatic. I feel for Carl Weathers to be honest, because I mean this is his job, and he didn't see the bounty. You know, he has no connection with this baby. He just feels like this guy did an incredible job, and that everybody's getting rich, and it's all good. And this obviously all blows up in Weathers' face. But he tries to take the farthest bounty away. He's obviously already kind of trying to run from it. And then, obviously, he makes the decision to, well, go back and go try to save Baby Yoda. Um, now, that was the point I wanted to get to right off the bat. Now, I do want to backtrack a little bit because I do understand we have a very big scene um, that happens in between the two we just discussed. Um, we've got, we've got we, well, okay, if, if, if we wanted to go chronologically... The first thing that I remember from the episode would be Baby Yoda and the joystick ball. Yep. And obviously that ends up becoming a big part, right? Because we see that Baby Yoda, um, he, he goes there. He's so, God, he's just he's so adorable. But when he, when he climbs out of his crib, he goes up to the joystick. He's messing with it like any kid does. He unscrews the top. He's putting it in his mouth. And the Mandalorian in his cold fashion, trying to remain cold, says, you know, it's not a toy. Not a toy. 
Um, and then obviously that pops up twice later. The Mandalorian is about to leave and go take that faraway bounty when he notices the joystick ball and his heart is moved. And then at the end, we see further uh, growth between their relationship when he willingly unscrews the joystick ball and gives it to Baby Yoda to play with as a toy. So right off the bat, the first scene and the last scene, I think, kind of mirror each other nicely in just terms. And this, you know, it's, I'm not saying it's very nuanced stuff, but I still found it to be effective. Uh, in terms of his initial reaction to them, him willingly unscrewing the piece and giving it to him because he wants Baby Yoda to feel good and to have fun. That change in behavior is something that you really, uh, I guess you see him come full circle in his behavior. You know, he you see him ponder the idea of turning him in and getting the bounty. And then once all the events of the episode take place, you see him kind of being like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to be so strict. I'm not going to be so... And so, and so I wonder... Um, because we we know that Mandalorians a lot of times kind of define themselves by their honor. I, I mean, the blacksmith scene that we'll get to, uh, they talk about that, right? They they, they, they talk about, that, well, he mentions not being, that he shouldn't be awarded a signet because he didn't have an honorable kill. Um, they both, the, the heavy infantry in Mando, when they're fighting, they both decide to respect each other. When, you know, they kind of realize they're both not cowards. They both have their helmet their whole life. So honor is huge here. The Mandalorians, though, hate the Empire. Is what, I guess here's my base question, is what the Mandalorian did this episode, or maybe I'll just call Mando, is what Mando did dishonorable in taking the Beskar as payment and then going and killing all of those former people that he was working for and taking back Baby Yoda? I think that... That is the major question that we want to ask ourselves today in this episode. Um, you know, we're calling it uh, This is the Way because, you know, that's what they say. That's their code. That's yep. the way they do things. Um, this episode, I really want to focus on that question. Um, my answer um, in a short form would be that, no, it's not dishonorable because he did uh, go back. And, and in the end, he did, yes, commit crimes against the... Uh, the bounty hunting organization, well, the a, guild, the guild, yeah, called the he, guild he, for he, now. He committed crimes against the guild. Um, he did backtrack on his promise to the empire. He did all these things and betrayed all these people. But at the end, everything he did was for the benefit of the Mandalorian. So I don't want to say that he did things without honor. That's the great point, right? That that I think that's the best way to say it too. I hadn't thought about saying that. Ah. Uh, he did everything to advance the Mandalorian cause. And and, and then I, I also feel that if – so let's – the blacksmith scene. Um, that shows that, that – that, that gives us a really clear idea of what the relationships are between Mandalorians and the Empire. And obviously there is no love lost there. None. Like he is called a coward – just for working for the Empire. And I feel like our original idea of what Beskar Steel is has pretty much been confirmed that is a natural resource or it's just maybe a, a, you know, a precious metal that Mandalore had in spades that the Empire took from them. Right. And Mandalore, obviously, Mandalorians feel like that steel is still their birthright, mm -hmm. that, that it belongs to their people. So, again, I don't know. At, at first I thought there was, but... After thinking about it more, I don't know that there's dishonor in his actions because he had completed the terms. Well, first off, you could argue completed the terms of the agreement, and then he just went back and, and, and attacked them. But at the same time, I don't feel that they feel that the Empire had any right to that Beskar in the first place. So has any payment really even changed hands if that's the case? I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no clause in the bounty hunting contract that says I can't come back and kill you after I bring your bounty to you and, <laughs> and you know if you want to go that route but i i guess you know back to the point i was making before like you know yes he did work with these people who betrayed his clan yes he did work with the guild who all tried to kill him you know but all, all these things lead up to the central point that we saw in this episode which i think establishes the mandalorian's actions as honorable because what he mm. did is he took all of these players in the game and he was playing chess with them 
while they were all playing checkers to get yeah. their money. He was taking them and using them as pawns to advance the Mandalorian cause because he got all their Beskar It's back. a lot of Beskar. He, a lot of foundlings, they keep saying. Yeah, foundlings who are going to get their helmets because he got that so Beskar. That's, so foundlings like, are children like the Mandalorian that are rescued, I guess, from, or, or maybe not rescued is the right word, but they, they could be enslaved i guess i are they just children that are like orphans i don't don't quote me as gospel but i want to say they're just the the younger people who like the younglings in, okay. in the jedi academy who are one day going to be the mandalorians that we see and they will get beskar helmets or helmets that are at least partially beskar from these uh again not gospel but that's what i'm assuming because you see all of the mandalorians in the hideout have beskar helmets from what it appears yeah but not because his helmet armor. doesn't change right no his helmet does not change at all yeah just the armor. So I, I want to say that all the Beskar they have left was probably put towards helmets. That's why they don't have any left, maybe. Yeah. Um, again, all my theories. Um, there could be some Wikipedia article out there that totally contradicts that. But um, that's the fun of this podcast. Yeah, dude, I wouldn't worry about it. Look, there, if... if we can't be too precious with this stuff, right? It's fun to talk about and it's fun to think about and to just jostle about and if some stuff, you know, you miss some canon here or there. Like it is what it is. And then discovering that stuff is having a good time. Is even fun. Exactly. Oh, yeah. um, so so I think back to our point of honor, which I think is is great for you to bring that up as the central topic of this episode, because really all this episode in this series has been about so far is the honor. I mean, you could argue that everything he does is honor. You know, his life is battle. His his code, like you mentioned last ethos. episode, him um, when he basically was accepting his death, still wanting to die in an honorable way with his weapon raised, every not, step of the way. Yeah, you know, down to his very last muscle and breath, having the vibro blade up. So you're right. You're right. He he. Um, he, the honor is and and we see that like we said it's just core to the mandalorian culture and i maybe this i think this is where you were going are, are his actions confirmed as honorable because all the mandalorians come to his rescue at the end of this episode i would say whether or not that scene happens they still are um i think all that does in my mind is confirm it and T, to be honest with you, that whole scene just welled me up with the most Star Wars pride that I've felt in years. Yeah. Just seeing this ethos, this lifestyle played out on screen, it's not on a page, it's not in a video game, it's played out in front of you, and you see the emotion of the the heavy tilting his head yeah. to him while he runs away. This is the way. Like, the chills I've gotten in this series, The Mandalorian have really been unlike any Star Wars content I've gotten in years. I was with Damn. I was with um my friend Caleb Vidros, who's a very good buddy of mine. Um he pointed out that how lucky we are to be in this era of content where you can see it's this true. week to week and you don't know what's gonna happen. You know, you don't automatically assume that all the plot points are laid out. I wanna say, have this on record, that having this culture, this Mandalorian culture in Star Wars mainstream is one of the best creative decisions in years. Yeah, uh, and I makes sense. And, and really, I mean, it goes back to Dave Filoni, who they announced, at least, and that's probably a bit reductive, but uh, the creator of Clone Wars, the creator of Rebels, both which have heavy Mandalorian, um, heavy Mandalorian influences. I mean, Satine, Obi-Wan's love, is the leader of Mandalore. They go to Mandalore in Clone Wars, and then... In in Rebels, uh, Sabine Wren, which which I've, I I need to finish final two seasons so I can learn her eventual story. But she is a Mandalorian, and you mentioned seeing them live and and come in with the jetpacks, the kind of you know the classic Ooh. Boba Fett feel. But here's the thing: is that like really when you think about it, I mean Boba Fett's on-screen fighting in the original trilogy is a joke it's 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 horrendous how he not dies a <laughs> how he dies is the most inexcusable death ever um jango fett's fight scene with obi-wan is the only real effective bounty hunting right or, 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 like effective like mandalorian style of fighting that we see in all the live action movies right yeah, i mean it's the until best until this point it's the best attempt at getting a mandalorian fight style cuz as i mean you know, they're not really truly Mandalorians. Yes, yes, um, yes. So I think, like... But jetpack, 
pistol. Oh, no, no, you're, you're not wrong by any the, measure. The, the yeah. grappling, you know, uh, hook or whatever comes out his wrist. He does an amazing job. I'm not downplaying his job at all, but, like, knowing what it actually looks like now on screen that is to see fair. the choreography is is truly wonderful. And, uh, like I said, it's not to downplay your point at all. Because he's just, a beast, dude. The Mandalorian is a beast. That gun that he has... The vaporizer gun. You pointed out his pistol too. That's How much you love great... seeing his pistol with the quick draw and, well, and all I mean, that stuff. The the pistol's just tight because I love the Western elements mm. and he just looks like a badass space cowboy with his cape on, rifle on his back, pulling the pistol, the six shooter, and he's got that quick draw down and you which can, we see. You can say whatever you want about choreographed fights, you can say whatever you want about having it planned out, but the talent that Pedro Pascal has whipping that gun out yeah. is just such beautiful to see. I, I, mean, I love it, it. it. It's like, I, I, I thought the fight teams were excellent. At one point, I was like, wait, why'd that guy not like shoot him when he snuck up on him? Say maybe because Baby Yoda's there and, you know, Beskar armor could just bounce off him and hit mm-hmm. Baby Yoda. Maybe they're trying to keep the prize alive. I don't know. I don't even know if I have to engage with that to get enjoyment out of the fight because I thought the entire final sequence was fantastic and then you're kind of wondering how he's going to get out of this. And you called it as we were watching it. That the Mandalorians were going to come to his rescue. And sure enough, here comes the same heavy that he was fighting in the blacksmith's room earlier. And he's firing a um, a heavy laser gun. I mean, it was so bad. Like a chain gun blaster yes, rifle. Like, yes. Oh, my gosh. To see that on film is so good. And I, I, I guess... I wish you could remember the name. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But... um. When you look back at uh, at that whole scene in the uh, the the smithing area, whatever you call it, um, to see them, to see the the priestess kind of give her explanation of of the Mandalorian lifestyle and what they're doing as a clan, as a tribe, is really. I just love to see it played out. I, lo- I love to see her do that dialogue to do all those things because um, I didn't get to tell you this while we were in the the house, but. Um, they're kind of like an isolated tribe, a clan, you know, yeah. the Mandalorians, um, even back in the KOTOR days, pretty much just survived as being clans. And one of the big plot points in KOTOR 2 is that you go back and kind of unite the clans. But their status right now is, you know, they just have, like she said, surviving is, is our strength. You yeah. Know? Like we, we have to survive. We have to stay together. Um, They're truly a fallen empire because yeah. Clone Wars is canon, right? Like, yes. Clone Wars counts, and in Clone Wars, they're still a they're still a force. They're still a planet. They have a leader. Um, they're not ruled by the Republic, um, and now they've been forced into such hiding that. Uh, do you think anybody in that culture goes helmetless anymore? Because there used to be some in the past, and now they make such a big deal. I, I don't know if that's supposed to tie together because they are in hiding. But either way, this is, as the heavy straight up tells you, this is a culture that once used to threaten ruling like the entirety of the galaxy, and now they've been reduced to kind of like cockroaches, uh running away when the lights come on. It took Darth Revan and the the massive shadow generator on Malachor 5 to take down the Mandalorians at one point. And now they're just on this in this hideout. Like it's it's to to see it play out like this is uh is definitely Yeah, I think it's setting up for something great. I I think it really is to see him come back and as you were talking about with that fan theory about, you know, Baby Yoda possibly becoming okay. the head of their group. Okay, so if you yeah. want to expand on that. Well, um, so as I was driving over here, as I said, I was talking to somebody, and I guess I hadn't thought this forward. I think you were already on this tale, but it's basically like, are we seeing the birth of a new nation, essentially, in the Star Wars? So think about it. The Star Wars universe forever has just been Empire versus Rebels or some variation thereof, right? Even the prequels, which are obviously crisscrossed wires all over the place when you're talking about kind of sides you still have two distinct factions i can't help but wonder like and as you know you have quotes about like kathleen kennedy saying they're 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 looking for new content and then you look at favreau and filoni being uh named as two of the key kind of guide guides for the star wars universe going forward like 
are the Mandalorians about to become this kind of third big piece, this third major player? It's an interesting question. And will the rise of Mandalore be featured around a super force powerful baby Yoda? Like, will there be a super force powerful baby Yoda at the head of the most badass warriors on the planet? Are they about to unite the clans? I love that idea. And I, I really do enjoy speculating on that because it, it, it may be premature. We have, we have a lot of time to see how this plays out. You know, Baby Yoda might not even become all-powerful and, and into uh, his power. And we should say the time is weird, right? Because you are right about that. Like, it's almost like that would have to take place, like, in a movie or something down the road because if we're falling Mando, our guy... Baby Yoda's only, you know, Baby Yoda's 50. Baby Yoda'll be yeah. 100 and he'll be like like walking. Like. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like I think I think Pedro might be dead and gone before yeah. Yoda's probably at his power but, to lead but, the clans. But that's what I'm saying. But think about the, the humble beginning. Could be the first step. The symbolism. The first step. It feels like a baby Jesus almost. Mm-hmm. It really does. And it's this it's this very humble uh, birth and 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 this small clan that's fallen on hard times and and it's just so powerful when they show up to support at the end. And and I think they're showing up. I don't even think they're showing up to support Baby Yoda at that time. I think they're probably just showing up for their clan brother. Um, but when they learn about Baby Yoda, and, and as you point out, we're watching episode, Mandalorians are super into symbolism, right? I mean, he turns down the, the signet because he doesn't think he's earned it. And the B plan is this incredibly badass wrist rockets. That he would have not gotten if he'd taken the signet. So symbolism matters to them. Like, and he he totally could have taken that signet if he wanted to. Let's be real. Like, if he wanted to just go behind, you know, the go defy the rules, go defy the honor, and just say, "Oh yeah, I killed this mudhorn, and I have valor." You yeah, know, nobody would have known. Imprint this on me and let it be my my symbol, my signet. I think he could he couldn't live with that. It, knowing his knowing his values, knowing what he's done so far. Back to our discussion at the beginning of the episode about why is he doing this. To see him have that mud horn on him would be a constant reminder of dishonor. Yeah, you couldn't do it. No way. And and and, and so and, and to me, what what jumped out to me about that choice is not just that it was honorable, but that the plan B were those badass singing bird wrist rockets, mm-hmm. which end up saving him later as they are able to take out four people. Like it's nothing. Now, he looks like he maybe got about 12 of them, and they're rare. They make a point of saying that, so whatever. But, but, but like, so, so I think it's, it's, I think it's powerful symbolism that his honor in not claiming the signet ended up saving his life. Oh, it's, yeah, it's true because that's why they came to his defense. Had he not had those wrist rockets, and he would have oh, just claimed. Oh, I see where you're saying. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Had he not had those wrist rockets, by by, so he was probably screwed in that scene. Yeah. So t- take take this as an example. He claims the mudhorn as his signet. Yeah. He has this honor. He has this clout from the clan. Because I'm sure if you have that signet, you are a big deal. Yeah. Amongst those people, he could just say, "Oh yeah, I killed this mudhorn. I did this, and you know, I'm I'm a big deal." Gets the signet, goes into the base to break Baby Yoda out. Bam! Surrounded four people. Shot dead. Doesn't have those rockets. Exactly. Can't he? Can't he? He die. His honor, his dedication to the Mandalorian Damn. way of life saved his life. And it just shows how much emphasis they put on symbolism and it honor. Out. It works out when, like, for his line of work, those wrist rockets. I mean, to me, that's I'd be like, yeah, that's the first choice, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. That is the pragmatic. It like, shows you their value of honor, the time. Yeah, it shows yeah. the value of honor when it shows you, like, yes, and so placing that above wrist rockets is. And and I think and and I think that it just shows that potentially they could really really latch on to this baby Yoda. And by the way, it seems like the entire galaxy is about to be coming after baby Yoda. One of my favorite scenes was when the Mandalorian comes back and he raids the 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 uh, I guess you call it an imperial stronghold. Uh, we see our dirty stormtroopers. They are crawling with stormtroopers. Uh, a lot of stormtroopers. Werner Herzog, a lot more troops than maybe we had originally thought from the introductory scenes. But I mean, the raid there is awesome. He's just doing badass Mandalorian fighting. Um, Love that action scene so much. Yeah, and, that, that and, that, and that's when he's scenes, crawling around with the pistol like a beast. Uh, wait, where was I going with this? So you left. 
Where, where, where do you go after the raid? Oh, when he's taking Baby Yoda away and you flash to the bar and all the bounty hunters' fobs start to go off. I love that. I love that. And Carl Weathers <laughs> realizes what's happened. And he's that's such like, a smart. Oh, shit. It's about to go down. That's such a smart creative decision to make that the way that you find out, you know, the way that you portray the people coming after him. He's not just running out and then everybody shows up. It's like you pan to where they are and you see him like. They all get that aha moment. It's like, like beep. Like one guy starts to beep, and the next one, the next one, then tell him all. And you're like, oh, he wasn't exaggerating. He really handed out fobs to everyone. Every, like the whole bar. Everybody. <laughs> like everybody. And, uh, and, and, and that's when you knew. Well, that, that, that's when the most crazy fight of the whole thing started. But I, but I want to back up. Um, if we're talking about things that I feel like the filmmakers did well. Um, I think that Baby Yoda has obviously imprinted on me as he has imprinted on much of the country. Um, the reaction on the internet to Baby Yoda has been wild. And Crazy. one thing that was so effective, and, 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 and it's something that, I, I once again, I hesitate to belabor the point, but the practical effects are everything to me with this Baby Yoda character. It, it really is. I mean... It. If it was CG, it just – and I'm not saying it's not enhanced in some ways and I'm not realizing. But if it was full CG, it just would not work as well. And again, a little behind-the-scenes story that I read about that was fantastic is that um, when they were shooting this originally, uh, they would shoot a version with the puppet Baby Yoda. And then they would go back and they would shoot a scene without it, just clean, in case they wanted to go – down the CGI route if they didn't think the pub would be able to. And so in a the Werner Herzog scene uh, that we saw tonight, um, I guess they filmed it with the puppet. And then when they went to film it clean, Werner Herzog was basically like, what the hell is this? Like, wait, what? Y'all are thinking about CGI in that thing? And he literally told... Favreau and Filoni and them to not be cowards. He said, don't be cowards. You have to trust yourself. Trust yourself is the my two favorite words in that quote. We we talked about this quote um, before we did Off the Bench, 104.5 ESPN, Baton Rouge, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. Aha, nice um, work there, internet. But uh, we talked about this quote as we do talk about Star Wars pretty much every day. Um, yeah. It's one of, my, <laughs> it's one of the biggest joys of the job. But um, you said those words, you know, trust yourself. Yeah. You know, like I... I think that speaks to his leadership. Yeah, a, a, as a as a, not just an actor, but a his, filmmaker. His, yeah, his filmmaker. A, as someone who will be on a set and challenge the directors to push themselves, um, challenge the writers to push themselves. I think that story, that anecdote, is amazing. Yeah, um, that's a good point. That I hadn't really considered because Werner Herzog is such kind of a famous, uh, you know, personality in his own right. Is that it does take a lot to stand up to the directors and to the creators in such stark terms. And it's interesting because, like, he's never seen a Star Wars. He doesn't give a damn, really, for Star Wars. But, but he doesn't dislike it. He, he, he actually has some great quotes talking about how, you know, although he loves, like, you know, ancient Greek poems and, and, and music and all these things and Latin and these Latin verses, these things that he grew up on. He's like he's also fascinated by the Kardashians and like pop culture and that there's room for both, that you can have an appetite for both. And so he's pretty unique in that he enters this world very excited to get to play around in there as an actor. And he's on practical sets and just having fun, getting to chew it up, being this great imperial bad guy. Which he pulls off so well. Yes, but then he also doesn't have the kind of uh, intimidation factor. Like, he's not worried. He doesn't have the weight of Star Wars weighing on his shoulders like so many in these movies and shows do. If I was plopped down on a Star Wars set, you know, let's let's pretend I'm an actor, and I'm as big of a nerd as I am, <laughs> I'm going to be so nervous to deliver oh, my dude, lines perfectly. Out, it's like, I, I would liken it to, you know, me as a musician. Uh, there's this term, this phrase, uh, not very common, but, you know, a situation where, say, you're playing in front of, uh, 10,000 spectators. Yeah. You could do that way easier than you can play in front of five drummers. 
Because mm, the yeah. five drummers are going to be picking apart every last motion they get that you do. They get it. They get it. And like, I went to the symphony last night, and it literally sounded flawless. And I'm sure it was close. But I'm also sure that, like, somebody who knew music better could be like, oh, okay, well, that could have been done a little better, or that could have been done a little better. But to my ear, I was like, that is perfect. That is the most fantastic thing I've ever heard. That scenario is exactly what I would do if I were a actor in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. I would be like, <laughs> every word I say, every little minute action, every little minute detail, I am going to be so nervous that the hardcore nerds like me and the people who really get it yeah. are just going to pick it apart and tear it apart. I really applaud Werner Herzog for his role in this series, for, for taking that leadership and, and for doing those things that needed to be done. And, and that's the thing, and he doesn't care. If people would do that to him, he wouldn't care because he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't have that weight on his shoulders, and you can feel that, and it's good for the series. And, it is. It's very good. And and he's just, he's great. You, you mentioned this scene earlier, but... Um, First off, turning over Baby Yoda was just incredibly sad. The ears pinned back. He even makes like a like he like he's like looking at it. It's like it. He, you a, saw it. It was messed with me. A genuinely emotional moment that also messed with me. I would one hundred percent agree. Yeah, on that. and then the whole time he's like not with Baby Yoda. I'm like, what are they doing, to Baby Yoda? I'm freaking out. But um, that that whole scene. One thing that I loved first, the 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 show did an excellent job of making me feel the wealth of that Beskar steel, right? Such a good job. Because of the importance that they put on one bar so early on while explaining the economic inflation that's taking place in other areas. Like, they, they, they let you know how important just a single bar of that Beskar is. And then so to see the tubful that he gets... And then to even see what Carl Weathers gets. I mean, he has two or three bars in his jacket as well. And he well. says, I'm rich. Yes. He says, he, I'm rich. And he's hyped. He's like, bro, why are you even working? Like, he's we're like, take done. a day off. Like, like relax. Like, we're like, done. Let's go to the Twilight Pleasure Palace. Come on. We got to go. <laughs> the baths. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so uh, credit to the show because when he pops open that canister and there's all that best girl, I was like, Damn. You feel it, man. Especially because that first one made him that pauldron. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, whoa, dude. He can have like a whole set of armor. And leftover for the foundlings. Mm, and left a shout out to the foundlings. So I thought it did a great job with that. But then my other favorite part of that scene is something you touched on earlier, where he turns over Baby Yoda. And Werner Herzog's being pretty personal. He's like, oh, you know, it seems the reputation is warranted. You Mandalorians are great. And then. Mandalorian kind of Mando kind of looks at Baby Yoda and you get this is like the first stage of him like starting to the walls are officially broken down he, he basically asks for Herzog you know what are what are y'all going to do to it and you see Herzog change like that it's, it's instant I mean it's nasty all of a sudden he's like wait what like the tone is so staccato and oh. so like I like that's very strange. For it's sociopathic. Like, monotone also. Like, it's it's so... You you definitely sense it, because he isn't talking, you know, totally colorful before, but it's significant. There's a little warmth in there, because he's excited they got the mission. He's like, you know, like, oh, wow, the reputation warning. And, and, you know, he thinks Mando's just going to go there and walk away. But, yeah, he flips on a dime, dude. And it is jarring, and it's well done. And he's like, wait, I thought, you know, as far as I agree, you know, as far as I understand how this works, we're done. Like, you forget that any of this ever happened and basically lays out that uh, chill out because you ain't you're, you're you're get out of here. Like your time is over. Yoda belongs to us now. In, in a very backhanded way, it says just get out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah basically. Like, yeah. He's like, according to the laws set, like you just said, according to the laws of the, the guild, once this job is done, we act like it never happened. Um, and you don't need to know anything else. No, no, and and then we get back to Carl Weathers, like we talked about earlier. And Mando seems like he's gonna leave. He doesn't. Comes back, raids the building in his new Beskar steel armor, which not only looks incredible, so but holds up well. Um, and then I guess I, we can get into the final fight scene. And, and and just what 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 that was all like. First off, the quick draw to start it off, diving into the bin, um, his willingness to take on all those people again, 
an honorable move mm-hmm. like a Mandalorian. Like he knows he's impossibly outnumbered there, right. and I don't think he's necessarily even banking on the other Mandalorians coming to his rescue I, because I they're in know. hiding, right? Yeah, yeah they, mean, they are. I mean, that I I don't know how they would know he's in the pickle that he's in. I mean, I I, I definitely. And this was my belief while watching the episode. This is my belief now. I don't think he intended for that to happen. No, I don't think so either. I think he was just... It's its kind of a die-had-been-cast moment, right? Like 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 when Caesar crosses the Rubicon. And I don't think he really said that. But you know, as the legend goes, it was basically the die has been cast. Like there's no turning back now. Yeah. And, and, and the second that he ripped off the robot eyeball and started raiding <laughs> Vertog's warehouse yeah. um the die was cast oh, yeah. there, there there was no turning back i and think that's so, really that's really the linchpin moment yeah and he so he that. he was seeing it he he was seeing it out to the end and he was not expecting that help man lawrence i would say in terms of how they would know he's in the pickle he's in i mean although they're in hiding and it seems like they're on some sort of rotation almost maybe or they just try not to be seen together a lot um yeah, they say one of us comes out at a time. Yeah, and I don't know if that was like I don't know if that was completely literal or not. Perhaps true, it true. was. Everybody else's armor is at varying stages of niceness, um, but they're on the same planet as these guild people. So I have no trouble believing that they have sensors, contacts. They're up there watching in some way. You know, like I, I feel like they're probably keeping. They're the ultimate warriors. Yeah. They're they're keeping some track of the of the players in the city and what's going on. That's something I didn't consider in the moment, but I mean, they've got eyes everywhere. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point to bring to, up to 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 a certain extent. And then, um, and then and then the Mandalorians show up, and, and like you said, even maybe expound on this a little bit because, well, it was impressive to me. Like I was like, oh man, this is badass. Both. My friend that I talked to on the way over here and you had, and both of y'all are what I would consider like Mandalore lore masters, both of y'all had very vivid and emotional and like crazy reactions to that that moment. I think uh, for me, this is, this is my, I'm not sure what his prerogative No, it's might fine. Be, no, I, I want your, I want your yeah, perspective. Um, my, my perspective seeing that brought me back to when I was playing KOTOR um, and I saw... The, the fraction of, you know, I guess fracturing, sorry, the fracturing of the Mandalorian race. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to the KOTOR spoiler ahead. Uh, you, you go That's to fine, the, um, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, came out in 2003. I, I would hope, you know, most, <laughs> we'll most people kind of know. Um, well, out. Uh, but you go to the, uh, the unknown world and you get mysteriously attacked by, um, a group of uh, you know splinter Mandalorians on the and on there, and then you go to Kashik, and there's this random random hunting group going out, and and you know there's only like six of them or nine of them, and then and then to see that fracturing and that broken spirit of the Mandalorians, it seemed like they've all turned to lives of being hunters and lives of being you know bounty hunters, like you know being contract killers, hunters and prey. There's as, no, they, as they tell you, right? there, there's no that's... exactly there's no honor in what they do. In that world, and I, I've played. I honestly couldn't even put an estimate on how many hours of Kotor, you know. And and Candorus makes this point in his dialogue. He's like, "You've turned into these people who are no longer living the Mandalorian lifestyle." You know, we they say in the in in the episode we just watched, uh, "This is the way." Yeah, they're not following the way in in uh in Kotor and. By the end of KOTOR 2, when you use Mandalore, who Candorus becomes Mandalore, when you use Mandalore to reunite the clans, yeah. you feel this sense of wholeness. You feel this sense of honor returning to a whole race of people. Think about that. Yeah. Think about how powerful that has to be. You know, if, you wanna, if you're a sports fan, you want to liken it to LSU returning to dominance. It, it, no, I mean, it's... it's To see LSU become number one again, that's exactly how I felt <laughs> watching true. all those Mandalorians come out. <laughs> and and to know that, like, you were splintered off oh for so long God. and you were, you, you'd become <laughs> these people who had lost their honor. Oh, I 
love it. I agree, dude. I and you, you, you were on the freaking yeah, team the last yeah. time they were number no, one. No, I, so get, you it. Get, I it. get it. I get it. You nailed it. So, I mean, you and I guess if, if that's a, the best way that I can say it to relate to you and to relate to Tiger fans, that's probably my emotion watching the Mandalorians unite and come together for this honor. So, um, you raised some great points then. Um, again, this is making me now that we've gone down this road, just make me feel more and more like. Baby Yoda is almost the key to restoring this honor. Um, do you think there is a Mandalore out there right now? And and I guess by Mandalore, I'm saying like a supreme leader of the Mandalorians. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's three or four, if I'm being honest with you. Because like different, like so, it's like different, like uh, like like rival cons. Yeah, given or like cows. Yeah, in, in Game of you Thrones. You know, like you know, like there's like these people who say they're the man, they're really not. Like I, I feel like there's these yeah, like a few different warlords that have yeah. united maybe a couple clans. They got a big army. You know, say like they they knocked off a few people here and there in their sector of the galaxy. You know, they think they're the big guy. There's no yeah. there's no other Mandalorians that can challenge them for dominance. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple out there. I'm not sure if they're going to get to that in this series, but dude, if I'm going to keep it real with you, there's probably a lot of people that think that they're the shit. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that think that they're Mandalore, that they're that's the... how fractured they are. Yeah, ex- exactly. Hit the nail on the head. So I think that they do exist, but I wouldn't even be surprised if Mando turns into Mandalore, honestly. That was, because that's literally on my notes right here that I was going to ask you next. Does Mando become Mandalore? I would not be surprised. And um, champion the cause of baby. And I, I almost want to splinter off your idea that you and um, your friend were bringing up. Um, Yoda may not lead the Mandalorians. Yoda may not become an ally. Because traditionally, um, Jedi, you know, who knows if he becomes a Jedi or not, if he just stays Force-sensitive. But Jedi do not usually like Mandalorians. See, but that's what I'm saying, dude. I don't see him as a Jedi. I'm talking I, I, about, I mean, not, I don't either, either, necessarily. Like, 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 we're talking about, and this is the fascinating part, a... a a Yoda that would be trained in the Mandalorian ways of war, but is super force sensitive. Is that the most powerful being that you could possibly imagine? It literally combines the very Jedi and Mandalorians that you're talking about. Other than the uh, space worms in the Kotor comics, I can't think of. <laughs> I can't think of something. Those space much worms were pretty sketchy. <laughs> it's like there's no weapon that can. No, stop those things were about to destroy the entire. You no, know, like that was about to get bad. They're like but, we um, can't make these cannon. No, but um. I think your point is excellent. I uh, I agree with your point. Um, I also, what I was saying earlier, I would not, um, like to branch off of your, your and your friend's idea, um, would not discount the fact that um, Mando becomes Mandalore. You know, the Mandalorian yeah. who we're following in this series becomes Mandalore. Yeah, that's what I'm... By yeah. uniting the clans under Yoda's help, Yoda would leave... Um, I'm sorry. Baby Yoda, once he becomes older and more mature, would leave... And well, they just will be allies. He, but, okay, but allies. Will, so, this, so this is the thing, though. This is the thing, though. I don't know that he'll ever be old in Mando's life. So I'm saying I, I feel like we could see a situation where he becomes Mandalore and he kind of sets the Mandalorians down this path where kind of one of their core tenets will almost be protecting this baby Jesus and raising this baby I like Jesus. That. I really like, he's like, like that. Like, he's like his like right hand quest or whatever because already i feel like we have a roaming band now now that'll be interesting episode four do we see the larger group of mandalorians um first off they seem to split ways at the end so are they going to remain together do they scatter to the wind and if they remain together do they accept baby yoda are they upset about him starting this because of baby yoda i wouldn't think so so, kind of an a b answer to your question yeah i I think they do leave the planet they're on because um, one. Uh, but do they leave as a group or do they leave separately? Um. So here, here's my answer to that. I think since Carl Weathers is still alive, because the best car saved yeah, him, I, I think it. they got to skip town. I think oh, yeah, they do skip town. I mean, they tell you that they yeah, said that we, they do. we have to relocate yeah. our base. Basically, yeah. I was, I was just about to say that, and they, 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 they say that. I don't know that that particular tribe reunites with the Mandalorian. Whoa, really? Um, I don't know, because he seems to be going somewhere far away. The The guy with the jetpack leaves. Um, maybe a far-fetched theory, but I don't know that in episode four or five or six or or any that we're going to see a reuniting of the clan and him, because he's got his Beskar armor. He's he, got- do- he does have his Beskar armor, but 
I think to be to become Mandalore eventually. I think, well, I, I guess for me, just a, a satisfying kind of way for that to be handled that I would really enjoy is like, you know, that is kind of his base squad. Like, this is the family that we're starting with, and we're going to lose some along the way, but we're just going to watch these guys take over more and more and start to start to grow. And I don't think it's going to be a fast process at all, if, if that's indeed what happens. But I feel like they've already established... Like they did, they wanted you to quickly understand some of these characters, right? And they did a great job. The, the of it. blacksmith now, we, like we've talked about, it has you know very priestly, holy person, wise person, soothsayer, sage type of vibes. Um, we see that the heavy infantry, while he can be a little, you know, a little rowdy, maybe a little quick to anger. At the end of the day, he abides by the way and 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 the code, even if he is disappointed in what it's become so i feel like it would just be an interesting choice maybe they do this but to to make us learn these characters and kind of feel like we know them a little bit and then to completely abandon them now maybe we don't see them soon or next episode but i think i think they'll be back in the fold yeah i mean and this is not to to backtrack on my point but i I didn't mean that as being like for the rest of the series i just meant like the process of them having to move... I mean, imagine the logistics oh, of having to get oh, that furnace out of there. Yeah, I see what yeah. you're saying. I, I, you're I saying. was not intending that this is the end of the line for them in the series, if, if that's what it came off to to the listeners, I apologize. But I feel like the logistics of moving an entire clan of people... And, like, you know, this may be, like, getting kind of stupid real world, but, like, that furnace is huge. They're going to need, like, a big old crate for that. Yeah, That'd I was going to wonder about that. Do they have to build a new furnace? Like, because I, I don't it seemed pretty specialized. Yeah, and I don't know if they want to... More than anything, I don't know that they want to leave that technology there to be discovered. The furnace is a ship, and so it's just going to take off. Bam. Damn. All right. Well, this You're welcome. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, but, um, you can pay no, us That's later. a good question, because I was, I, was, I was thinking about that as well. I, I don't know what they're going to do with all their equipment that they had. I mean, I, I could see them blowing it up, maybe rebuilding it before. They're not going to. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't Considering their limited it. resources, though, what if there is some exclusive to Mandalorian culture items in there, like in the furnace, in the the, the Yeah, well, I mean, it looks like there were, in terms of how they were forging that Beskar steel, yeah. there was some sort of almost computer program um, that they were using, I think, to perfectly fit it to mm-hmm. Mando. So th- I think there's definitely some unique... Mandalorian tech there that they have to protect. I think all that is to say that um, while my point, I can I can understand how it sounded strange when I said it, but um, it's because I'm kind of developing it right now. But I, I would imagine that they do reunite in the near future. I don't know if it's in the next two episodes. That, that's kind of what I was we trying to get. Eight episodes. At. Yeah. No. I mean, look, you you can be right, and that's a great part about the show is really they can go. Um, they go so many different directions because they went a whole episode right in episode two without bringing up the clan. You know, there was no clan interaction in episode two that I remember off the top. That's of my head. fair, and 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 you know what? Now now that we're talking this out loud, it does feel maybe a little. Uh, it feels like I'm sitting down at the dinner table and I'm really hungry, and my eyes are just getting a little too wide. Like I feel like they probably want this show to be a bit more of a slow burn. Or at least not in terms of action or fun, but probably in terms of developing the main story, right? Uh, it's because we got a heavy dose this episode. Yes, we got a very exactly heavy dose. like we said. I mean, you sit down; it's almost overwhelming to think about everything. To which we got virtually none in and episode two, and, and and it was still great. You know, episode two felt like a great sci-fi television show, a fun, contained adventure that is relevant to the main story. Um, but it's also kind of its own unique story. And I do think that that's probably actually some of the rhythm they want to hit is interweaving that with the very heavy main story episode. So I I actually think you're spot on there. You you probably, maybe, I don't know if you do any bounties, but maybe you're just on the run. Uh, I kind of wanted to go to Mon Calamari if that's where they were going to go. I can't remember. See where that flom comes from. Yeah, exactly. um, I think, uh... My main motivation for bringing up that point, T, is that uh, they talk about how um, they're uh, – I'm, I'm really blanking on the uh, writer's name. John Favreau. Yeah. How Favreau wanted to um, direct more episodes in the second season and that he was already writing the second season. So I want to say that they're trying to flesh this out. Yeah, um, for sure. Because even if we go until episode six without more Mandalorian exposition, which I don't think is going to happen, by the way um, – 
But it would, I mean, but, but like you could make it, you could it could still be really enjoyable, and be great, and not feature them yeah. again. I mean, maybe his next mission is getting a rocket pack, right? I mean, he, he said he wants one of those. Yeah, yeah, he literally they kind of beat you over the head with it, and it was it's it's kind of funny. I, I guess I'm so used to seeing jump packs attached to Mandalorian armor that. For the first time, I was like, oh, wow, he doesn't have a jump pack, actually. Like, It reminds me in second grade of when one of my buddies um, had a Jango Fett action figure, and I wanted one really badly, and I told him I would trade him two very valuable <laughs> minifigures for this one Jango figure, Yeah, and I show up to school, my happy ass hands him over the two very valuable no. minifigures. And he hands me a Django without any guns. Oh, no. And, and the jetpack taken yep. off? Oh, no. That was the coolest part about my Boba Fett toy growing up. And I want to say, I know there were those molds where he had the helmet and the jetpack as an attachment on the neck, but there were the molds that had like the helmet-jetpack combo. I was hoping to get the helmet and separate jetpack. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Also, this is from second grade. I may totally be... Not honest, but they, doesn't matter. Either way, the Live feeling. Your truth. Tell your truth. The, the feeling of getting the Django action figure and something was missing is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, there was, it's it was, the it was, worst, something was dude. missing. It's the worst. He traded with you in bad faith, and it it really just uh, it, it left a dark spot on my heart. Too. You're like you're Let like Luke. You, this this Django's really, got a bad motivator. This Django's got. I mean, come <laughs> on, what are you trying to push on me? <laughs> you Jawa bastard. <laughs> did he? Uh, <laughs> did. Wait, so did did he did did the trade go through? I mean, he took my he took my minifigures, oh. bro. Oh. So, um, bro, I it's I still brutal. I still have the Django. He's in. Um, I did a big trade with. And you uh, still have no jetpack. No jetpack, but uh, I think I have the bubble with the jetpack, so it kind of made up for it. But Django was kind of in my in my youth in my day back in my day. Uh, whenever. Django yeah, how was old out. Are you just for our listeners? Um, I am twenty. So um, <laughs> what? Yeah, I thought you were like twenty-one. No, at least I'm twenty. Oh uh, my god! But uh, back in my day, oh, the the Boba Fett kit was out. So this is like 2006. Yeah, I want to say 2006 was probably Lego Star Wars heyday minus 1999. Oh, wait, so are we talking Lego? Are we talking Lego Star Wars this entire time? Well, or action figures? Lego Star Wars, Lego. Oh. Legos, yeah. I traded him two. I traded him two valuable Star Wars minifigures oh, for one Django minifigure. Interesting. Okay, I had the action figures in my mind this whole time. Okay, okay. yeah. I mean, like uh, potato, potato. It's the same thing. No, no, for much. sure, for sure. No it, doubt. It's like if someone trades you an action figure without the rifle. Or no, it's the worst. Jetpack. No, yeah. no, it's still the worst. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think you lose anything in that translation. But not when, at all. When you, I just, it's just, it's just. Um, it's it's interesting because that is actually an area that I don't have a lot of experience. Is the uh, the Lego side of Star Wars and. The Lego side of Star Wars is massive on right. multi multiple like media fronts. Exactly, and and to put kind of that frustration in the context, I was six, so you know how much Legos are important. Yeah, dude, six. the best things in the world. So, my boys, dude, we used to get down on the, my cowboy Legos with their little cowboy hats. Yeah. Were like my favorite. It was my favorite stuff. Ever. Absolutely. So I mean, so so two thousand six, right? Slave One is out, but it's Boba's version. Two thousand two, I want to say is when the Django Slave 1 was out. It was blue. Yeah. 2006, the uh, Boba Slave 1 was out. Um, I remember this because I went to Target in Covington with my mom, and it was $60. She said that was too much. Nowadays, you can only get like a minifigure and 10 bricks for $60, but that's beside the point. <laughs> but like the primo Lego sets were 60 bucks back then. Like, yeah. If that gives you any context, uh, $100 was like unthinkable. That was like the Lego set that you got like yeah, once every were, second how Christmas. How much is like the, the new badass Millennium Falcon that I've seen? That's yeah, like I'm sure, full scale. I'm like sure it's upwards of like 250 or okay, something that's what crazy. I thought. Yeah. Um, but I, I, again, that's totally a, a guesstimate, but so when when I was that age, that slave one was what we had. You know, the the two thousand two, scale it down to six year old years. Two thousand two was like thirty <laughs> years ago. It's yeah. like the vintage vintage stuff. So yeah. like when you get to the point to where you have this opportunity, and you're six, you don't go on eBay, you don't go look for this stuff. You're six. Ugh. Someone says they have the Django minifigure, and you can't find it anywhere, and you trade him two valuable boys. You got you got you got. Wait, yeah, what did you trade him? You so they were valuable, uh, but what were they? Do you remember? I'll say it was a uh, 
an arc arc trooper oh. um for I, no no it's the arc uh, train Cody and Rex no no it was it, there was this kit uh the arc 170 starfighter yeah, it was yeah one I know of, what ship you're talking about one of the minifigures from there and I traded him mm. um the I want to say it was either the the light up Mace Windu or mm. the um or another clone trooper or stormtrooper. I mean, you're talking about maybe the most powerful Jedi ever. No, wait, no, I still have that one. Never mind. Okay. So again, we're going back into sixth grade minds, so things are getting I mean uh, second grade minds, so things are getting a little cloudy, but um, my biggest disappointment is that in all my Star Wars toys, I was so young when I had them and I just played with them so much that uh I'm just missing a ton of guns. I think I'm missing Boba's jetpack. Maybe not though on that one actually, because that was precious to me, but um, I have like a badass X-wing that's missing uh, part of a wing, Tie Fighter that's missing a wing, the Slave One that's missing a wing. Like all these toys that, if I still had the pieces, would be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Now my Lord of the Rings collection is still sick. Not a single piece, p- missing piece from that. But um, when I think about the fun that I used to have with those toys, it was just unending, man, unending, and. Uh, I can't wait. I, I hope that Alice one day uh, learns to love those toys in the same way. So if the Mandalorian felt even a fraction of the pain I felt <laughs> seeing that Django without a jetpack, then I can understand his pain saying, <laughs> I need one of those. My second grade self looked at the Django minifigure and said, I need one of those. I mean, it is tight when uh, the heavy dude's just straight up flying like love Superman the at the end. Heavy's like a top tier character. His armor, his armor is so sick. So good. Oh, my God. So it's, it's like, I wonder who plays him because he's huge. Yeah, I'd have to look chunky. that up. I wonder if it's like Batista or something. I feel like Batista's like the go-to huge jack guy yeah. nowadays. Um, maybe the last thing here. About a few minutes left, but. Something interesting to consider. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, wait. First, okay, no, shoot. We didn't even get into this. What's your opinion on the doctor? Was the Because when we see the doctor Such during the raid, when we see the doctor during the raid, first off, the doctor is made to look overly, like, creepy, I feel like, and feel very, like, Nazi, like, evil scientist wants him alive to experiment, right? He, when he sees the Mandalorian raiding, the first thing he says to the Mandalorian is, don't kill him, it's just a baby. He basically gives voices a sentiment that every single one of us is feeling. Um, he doesn't say what he could have easily said, which is just take the kid, don't kill me. He, which is what you would expect. Because he thinks Mando's coming in here to like ice the baby. Yeah. Yeah. So do we think that the doctor... Like, what, what, what are his goals? Was he actually going to do messed up bad experiments to this Yoda thing? Is he going to end up becoming a part of the squad... And trying to and trying to join up. I mean, they, I had that cross my mind when I saw it. Um, he keeps the doctor and uh, Werner alive. Yep. Uh, we don't know where those storylines are going to end up. We don't know if they're going to end up anywhere, considering he leaves the planet. Uh, but a, a wise mind would imagine that they'll they'll peak up again in the in the series somewhere. So I just I I can't I I, I like that the doctor's motivations very ambiguous. At this time, it felt obvious. I'd love to see it get flushed out. And now I, I, I don't know which direction it's going to go because it, and we'll see. Like because they were hitting you over the head with it that he was like almost trying to sound like he was defending this thing. Um, now he, but then he did have it hooked up to some scanner. But we don't, we we just don't know the context. We don't, we don't know, we don't know. They left it ambiguous. So good, good on them. I like that. And I mean, I think I'd want to lean to him being good in the end because he does make the case in episode one. Um, that him alive. yeah, it's like we, we didn't agree to him coming back dead. Like that's not our agreement, which felt very nefarious in at the, the moment, time, though. In yeah, the moment, yeah. yes, and that's why I think it's important to keep those events in the back of your head because it really gives you an idea to how deep they think about this in the script writing. But um, I think when you see his actions, his actions really demonstrate that he's not here for the baby to die. I think earlier when he puts the scope on and he can listen to what people are saying through the scope. Um, Mando does. Um, oh, what does he say? I don't he, he does like the thermal vision. And yeah. He says, um, you know, I think um, Werner Herzog says, uh, you know, why, you know, we could just kill it. Oh, yeah. Some, like, some yeah, of that. Like, he's like, let's just extract it and get out of here. Yeah. And he's like, no, we got to we got to keep it alive. Um, mm. I think seeing it not only through closed doors like that, but seeing it in his actions when Mando could easily just ice him and end it all um, says a lot about his character. Um, here's some maybe food for thought on the way out. I cannot confirm this myself. 
I have not looked online to confirm this. Like me and Nick said, these are basically instant reaction pods. We come straight from the episode to this. Um, Fresh out. But it was pointed out to me, or it was told, I was told, I, so I can't guarantee that this is true, that the symbol on the shoulder of the doctor may be the symbol of Camino, which is the cloning facility, which we know that Yoda has visited, um, which obviously means that they could have Yoda DNA, so we could quite literally, potentially be dealing with the baby Yoda. This is a ground-shaking theory. I mean, right? I mean, and, and, and it could amount to nothing. And, you know, sometimes insignia could be wrong. I mean, maybe, maybe this is off base, but it's just some it's just some food for thought. Um, who knows? Maybe there's multiple baby O's. I don't know. I don't know. Food for thought. I think the, the seismic implications of that theory kind of sum up all of our emotions after watching episode three. Um, and I think... Where we go from here is going to... I don't think we're going to see something as ground-shaking next week. Oh, so um, the ground-shaking. That's a great word because when was the last time that you had one character feel like they were potentially changing the entire fabric of the Star Wars universe like this Baby Yoda is? And it would make sense that it wouldn't have implications in episodes 7, 8, and 9 because Baby Yoda wouldn't be old enough to yeah. be Yoda and have his powers yet. I mean, that's only, what, 20-some-odd years after The Mandalorian? Yeah. So... I don't know, man. Things are lining up. They may not end up becoming anything. They may end up being the next, the basis for the next trilogy. Nobody knows, but I think that's what's so fascinating about this series and why I enjoy doing this pod with you so much. I agree. Because um, honestly, this is this has been one of the best experiences ever getting to be able to react react to the it's episode awesome. like this. And I think uh, back to the point my friend Caleb said: living in this time, this day and age, people, people, if you're in your cars, people, if you're running people if you're doing whatever just take a second really like breathe and think about the era of star wars content you live yeah. in. yeah i know it's really easy to get cynical about it but i'm with you i, I love it i think um i think no matter what you think of either t bob or my or anybody's takes or opinions on this episode i think you can just sit back and think we live in an era where we, we, we can even talk about this we live in blessed times we truly do and people, I, I really enjoy y'all tuning in. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. We love you. We appreciate you. If you enjoy it, leave a rating, leave a comment, subscribe. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and T-Bob, you have anything you want to say on the way out? Um, no, I'm just, that's great perspective. And I'm super hyped. And I can't wait to see where it all goes. For Mandalore.